Welcome to the podcast is dedicated to making you a faster cyclist, the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach, Chad Timmerman. Hey, everybody. And our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. And we're going to answer more of your cycling and triathlon-related questions today. You can submit them to us at trainerroad.com slash podcast. Before we get into answering your questions, we usually do this quite a lot, so I don't even know if I need to preface it like that. But we have something else we want to talk about because today... We are two days away from the end of the year. Bam. New year, new you. Mm-hmm. So many people keep telling me about this year is going to be the year. Uh-huh, exactly. And, but it's going to be the year for me. <laughs> um, Nate's not, actually on track for it. I'm not joking. Yeah, Nate's, Nate's you're setting up really well. Like, yeah. let's, let's talk about... I'm doing what we talk about in the podcast. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about... I, I figure we should take some time to review our personal years, how they've gone in terms of cycling, of course. We're not going to get personal on here, but um, cycling and training and that type of a thing racing and uh hopefully we can give like some some context or maybe some principles for people forgive me that people can uh use to analyze and understand their year and and know what to do for next year so first uh kick things off chad how did your year go how would you sum it up um super spotty i think everyone who listens knows that uh two big lessons that i pulled or took away from this year was uh rapid weight loss and Basically, fitness declines go hand in hand. Hmm. And travel uh, and a disjointed schedule makes training really hard, especially if you're not the sort who uh, cross trains or heads into, uh, or formally cross trains or heads into the hotel gyms. I just can't spend any time in those places. Hmm. We're going to buy some more pedal systems for Hmm. the road. That'd be cool. So we're going to have more that you could take. Uh, That's a nice option to have. Yeah. That'll help. Pedal power meters. That'll help. I mean, if, if I'm, as I branch into duathlon again, Oh yeah, you can run. Running is uh, an easy get. So yeah, absolutely. Which you are planning on doing, right? (laughs) Loosely. (laughs) I'm going to, okay. There's a third takeaway from the year. You have to be committed to your goals. And and Mm. I I lacked commitment all year long. So that's, that's a big issue with me. You have to Mm. buy a plane ticket to Bend, Oregon where nationals is. Yeah, I'll, I'll drive, but... Uh, you have to tell everyone here. <laughs> you have to well, tell everyone? That, that, I've already drive dangled that bend? out there. That's true. He already has told us. Oh, I always drive to Bend, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's not too far. Yeah. H- half of the reason I brought it up was to you know further my sense of commitment. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. <laughs> so, what, so what are your goals for next year? Uh, at this point, it's just to athlon nationals. I do want to race cyclocross, and since nationals is going to be here in Reno, I absolutely want to do that, and I want to be fit enough to be competitive, not just show up. Um, outside of that, nothing too specific. I want to have more fun. So that means less road racing, more, uh, trail riding. Mm. I, I know before you talked about doing mountain bike racing, are mm-hmm. you going to do some of the mountain bike races with Jonathan? I don't, I don't, I don't see why not. And that's fun stuff too. I don't get too competitive with that. I'm sure it can go that direction, but, you know, uh, those, those North star races do not, I don't know what, how would you describe the vibe, Nate? Is it like a road race vibe? Is it like a, oh, no, it's yeah. y'all climb up together and then you don't see anyone. Yeah. yeah, and that's one the thing. So it's like it's very time trial oriented. Yeah, a lot of the times, I'm more concerned with staying upright than than um, passing anybody, or, or no one else is even on my mind. I'm just focused yeah. on not falling over. And yeah, exactly. You get. Uh, I talked to somebody else who had a high stress job, and he was actually he's a firefighter now. Before he was pararescue, oof. and talk about um, in the what the Air Force, whatever. He jumped out of planes though and got people who were in the water, and uh, you mountain biking you don't think about your high stress job mm. because you know you you're just think thinking about, about exactly <laughs> you're just thinking about don't fall don't fall don't fall don't yeah. fall it's a good disconnect i love it exactly yeah and the other cool thing about those races too is it uh 
it helps me enjoy and kind of uh, it, it rekindles that fire for cycling every time or racing, especially too, because, and, and it's easy to get burned out on racing, uh, really easy to get burned out on racing, especially if you're in the, in a competitive level in the road space. It's so, I, I guess it's that way with any discipline. For but, us too, we have to drive. Yeah, we I mean, do. That's, which is easy to burn out. Yeah. yeah. And, and I go to those North star races, we race, we get that done. Then afterward, well, beforehand, everybody's friendly and happy, and afterward, we hang out, we get pizza by a fire Jonathan outside. Jonathan wins every one of them, too, so it's <laughs> that always a helps. little bit more fun. Yeah, yeah. But it's 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 just a comfortable environment, and it really does, if for anything else, the, the bike skill, the fitness, everything else aside, it does help with that part of, of enjoying racing for me, for sure. Yeah. So that could... I'm, I'm hoping Chad shows up to that. Okay, Jonathan, mm. how was your year? Uh, I, was, I would give myself a... Four out of 10. So not great. Uh, failing score. And here's the reason for that. I, I, Nate, you're going to say something. I was going to say two things. Yeah. Go ahead. I'll say, uh, baby, yeah. anyone who has a new baby is tough. And then injury, you put mm-hmm. baby and injury together and they weren't timed at the right time. Yeah. If your mm-hmm. injury happened right when you had your baby, it would have been great. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah. And, and the injury thing, here's what I learned about that. I, I feel like a lot of people just assume these injuries happen and it's just something you have to deal with. And I, I don't believe that. I think that I had a problem last. So I had a problem in 2015, October. That's when my knee started to act up and I didn't take care of it right. And I knew what to do. I needed to do more strength training to balance myself out in terms of strength and where that lies in my legs and posterior chain. And I needed to be doing more stretching and in less massive rides. And I didn't do that. It ended up putting me in a big hole. And uh, then I just chased around PTs trying to find the answer. And really, it took a long time. So that was a pr- that really just completely muted my season, right? It didn't allow me to ever reach anything remotely close to a peak. Once Simon came along, our son, I actually, that was when I first started really racing uh, because my knee was feeling better. And it was easy when he was just a, uh, you know, an infant, when he was newborn, it was pretty easy to go around. The weather was nice. Everything else was good, but it's certainly now it is becoming difficult and it's only going to become more difficult. So I, was, I was leaning into the microphone to say it only gets worse. Yeah. <laughs> New parents don't realize like the first three months are the easiest months. Yeah. And, and they're, they're hard for their own reasons. A lot of that is because you don't and, have any experience yeah. with it. But now the, the schedule becomes more demanding because my little guy wants to constantly be entertained and mm-hmm. play around. When they get to be like two, it gets better. Yeah. So, uh, the, the main thing that I've taken away from this year is number one, uh, be humble enough to just stop doing what you're doing and take care of issues when they arise, uh, with my knee, I needed to do that. Instead, I just wanted to go off and do these huge rides with people and have fun. And and instead I should have just eaten that humble pie and gone, I'm not ready for this and I need to take care of my issue. And number two, now I'm understanding the absolute importance of scheduling your training to a T and making sure that that is sacred time that's set apart and making sure that doesn't throw off the balance of everything else in your life. So Scheduling in that. And this next year, uh, my goal is a national championship in West Virginia, uh, cross country. Now, is that going to be tough? Because this year, like if this year was a solid year, mm-hmm. then you have like a year to build on. But yeah. this year hasn't, wasn't solid. So it sounds like 
to me, it, w- it seems like it would be harder. Yeah, and it will be harder for sure, right? It would have been great if I had a solid year, but it's also not out of reach. I mean, I have been able to maintain some semblance of fitness just the same. I'm, And I say some semblance. I mean, I'm still, my FTP right now is about 285, and then I'm weighing 145. So that's still pretty good. Uh, it's not great. You know, last year I was 310 and 140. Uh, so yeah, And you might uh, also be the type peak. of writer. <clears throat> it's kind of like I am where you have a good year and then you have a kind of a not so good year, but I alternate. I have one solid year and then I just can't really get into it the next year. Maybe mm. played a little more fast and loose and then the next year I'm back on it and I have a far more successful year by comparison. And yeah. so I kind of alternate good year with bad year. Yeah. And my plan to get there is just diligence and, and making sure that that's a part of it. We're getting a new office. We've talked about that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, we're getting a new office and in that office, I'm going to have my bike on a trainer at all times in my office. So I have zero, mm-hmm. yes, zero barriers. So then I can just get that done. Um, I've also altered my schedule so that I'll be able to do that right before I go home for the day. So, and then I'll be adding on more time later on from home that I can, I can make it up. So it's all, I'm, I'm really trying to be as structured as possible. And do you have a TSS goal per week that you want to do? Uh, so I'm, I res, when I'm really building in a build phase, 600 TSS uh, up to 750 TSS. That's a, that's a good Damn. week for me. So, that's a lot. so um, how long can you maintain that for? I last time after about, after about 10 weeks, 11 weeks of that, I was feeling fatigued. Mm-hmm. And that was that was two weeks within that. I had a downturn where I had a lower TSS week, but I was feeling fatigued. So I was following our build plan, um, our short power build, and I was doing high volume. And then... Ooh, that's rough. Yeah, really rough. And then on the weekends, I was just doing longer rides outside. And uh, that was how I was adding on a lot of that TSS too. And that too. worked well for you though. Yeah, I, I respond really well to that, I've found. And that's the plan this year is to um, sweet spot base. Uh, I'm going to be going through that. And that's going to be, right now I'm just going to be doing mid volume because I'm working my way back in. Then jump up to high volume as soon as I feel ready to sustain that. And then I'm going to go into short power build and then go into XCO specialty high volume. So high volume works for me. Uh, the biggest challenge now that I have versus before is time. So, uh, but as long as I can get in the structure, those weekend rides, I, I feel like, uh, I can have a little, as long as I get the structure in the week, I'm okay with a little more flexibility on the weekends. So that's my goal. Cool. National championship. That, that's, that's nothing. Triathlon <laughs> nationals national championship. My goal is not to fall down in one of the races for <laughs> <laughs> mountain biking. No, no dabs. <laughs> yeah, no dabs. The, uh, so I had a good year, but that's because I was starting out for so low. I think last November I had a ride 180 FTP, 190 in December. Now I'm at 310, and I'm doing harder workouts at 310 than when I did at the 180, 190. making them work too. What? I'm making them work too. Yeah, so you're, you're not you're not faking your way through anything. Yeah, no, you're no. and you're absorbing it too. Like you're you're not sort yeah, of. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I um I lost a bunch of weight. I think it was like I forget. Someone on the podcast can look back. I want to say my height of weight was 205 or 210. Sinus surgery. So my how my year went in April. I actually had an FTP of 290 mm. up from 190. So I went really up high fast. But then I had sinus surgery and uh, that. And my tonsillectomy, and that really brought me down. And I lost a bunch of weight on there, but that put my FTP back to 260. And then I kind of fought back up to 310. Mm. Uh, so the things that I want to work on, which things I learned this year is 
one, my handling skills for mountain biking is a huge limiter. I was going to say that though, that you have progressed massively in bike handling. Yeah, I know you're I, not where you want to be, yeah, but I haven't done enough. Yeah. So. And we can always, you can always improve your bike handling. Peter Sagan has a lot of room to improve. I know that sounds crazy to a lot of people, but everyone does. But I have so. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's all relative, right? Process though. Yeah. yeah. What I want to do is, so on those North Star downhills, instead of being ranked 1200th. <laughs> right. Yeah. I want to break the top 1000. <laughs> exactly. Dare to or the, dream, or the top 600. <laughs> I want to make it so that it's not. Uh, in the, I'm going to race the sportif, which is like the B category there. I want to mm-hmm. be like downhill as well as a normal guy in that category. Yeah. I don't need to be the best, but I don't want to be like four times as long as anyone else. Because right now you do a lot of work on the climb and it puts you in a good position or at least close to where you need to be. And then yeah. you end up having to just, once you go down, you have to do makeup work every time you go back I up. think in the B's next year, unless Chad races the B's, he should mm-hmm. race the A's. No, I'll race A's. Um, I think in the B's, I should be the fastest one up the climb. Mm. In most rides, unless someone else sandbags like me. Yeah, you'll. I think you'll be. The but in the, I don't. I can't do the A's though because uh, in the A's I'll probably be the second to last on the climb, and then I'll be wiped away on the downhills. Yeah, and and it will th- just be silly. I think for you, it totally makes sense to race at least a year of the B's, and then get to the point where your handling is really comfortable, and then and I can beat some people. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to schedule. I'm going to have some days like work days where I'm going to take the day off, go to North Star get a lesson, take the chairlifts up, ride those same, they're called blue lines, like the intermediate level, I'll do beginners too, and do that a lot. And then at the new office too, I want to schedule time that I actually work on more of my bike handling skills in the parking lot. Yeah. Do both of those things. Yeah. Um, Cross really helped. Cross is awesome. So next year, I'm going to do a lot of road racing. I bought that new fancy bike. Mm -hmm. Chico stage race. Does anyone want to go? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Chad's always had a bad time. Never though. again. Oh yeah. Yeah. We've talked about that on the podcast before too. Um, but I, I will be there. I won't be doing race? the, yeah, I'll be doing the Pascenta road race and the circuit race around okay. Thunder Hill. So there's circuit race, road race, crit and time trial. Mm-hmm. And, and those do- happen on Sunday. So that's why I'm not racing those. Time trial, I could care less about missing, but the crit tears my heart out. I got, so. so I got the uh, new specialized GC like ev- evade skin suit. With the Evade helmet, with the yeah. sub six shoes, <laughs> <He's that guy>. <laughs> with <laughs> with the Venge bias, with the matching wheels, with the I got the yeah the the really man I'm really digging into I'm I'm buying the wind tunnel specialized stuff yeah but I have the yeah and their tire and I have a shiv yeah so yeah. with zip. 808 and a disc. So, but yeah. if I could have just put out power, I should be pretty fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the aero part's taken care of, I think. Um, yeah. The aero part's taken care of, although my power on the TT bike, we t- talked about this before, Chad, my power on the TT bike is not the same as a road bike. Mm. And I've actually been skipping getting on the TT bike because I don't want to go through the pain of, yeah. like, like, I'm yeah. barely getting through some of my it's workouts. It's time to start uh, making your, your position friendlier. You got to be able to put out power. I mean, <clears throat> so many people lose sight of that and they just, they're all arrow, 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 and they just can't put out power. And it's, it's, it's a good point. I think what happens too, so for, backwards for me is, uh, you don't spend enough time on it and you've been doing these workouts and you're like, okay, I'll just aim for something 10 Watts lower. Mm. And that's still not low enough. It's so still you, not low. you blow yeah. yourself up in yep. the first 10 minutes. I've done exactly that. Yeah. 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 So I need to spend some serious time on that. 
narrow position. In general, though, I don't have anything really big. I like to race cross next year in the Bs. Maybe we, win districts in the Bs. Because yeah, I'm going to be 35 awesome. plus. That'd be awesome. I and think, we all three of us are doing national champs for cyclocross next year, since it is so close. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. know if... Yeah, we'll see what categories they have. Because I might not be a category high enough for me to qualify to race with them. You have to be a three, I think. Or you can race masters. I don't... Maybe. Okay, well... We'll have to look. We'll figure it we'll out. Address yeah. it later, yeah. But all three of us intend to. Intend to, yep. Yeah. And I want to do a bunch of mountain biking, and then I'll do the uh, the road racing. So. And also, just some some you know minor things that could possibly come into our season is we're we're entered for the lottery for Leadville. All three of us. Oh yeah, I told Jonathan said he didn't want to do it, and then he was like, "It's like you can do it." And he messaged me later. I think we should do it. I take great we confidence in what you it. say. If you say I can do it, we can do it. Um, but sorry, what was that, Chad? I just said we go to you into doing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm um, pretty easy to go into a bike ride. So, uh, Leadville is a possibility. We're also looking at doing some other uh, bigger uh, events. Uh, possibly Levi's Grand Fondo, uh, some other cool things. Belgian Waffle Ride. Belgian Waffle Ride could happen. That's a 160-mile road yep. slash dirt race. It's not a ride. It's a race, and although a lot of people ride it like a ride uh, down in San Diego. It's a rough one. But we may be doing a lot of uh, – or we may be doing these cool, iconic events, too, uh, that will kind of – interrupt perhaps what we're doing mm -hmm. uh to some respect but to be honest that's probably like a lot of people that listen to this yeah, podcast that's, we're, that's why we're going to do it is so that we exactly. can tell everyone how we're preparing for that so how yeah. i'm preparing for next year right now i'm doing sweet spot base high volume chad's new plan sorry it hasn't been released yet there's another bug that's keeping that up we got someone working on it right now uh i just did 500 tss last week all inside which is a lot for inside it is and a lot for inside this week i think i have 590 scheduled or something which is a lot for inside. Yeah. And I am not feeling super sharp right now. <laughs> Maybe yeah. we should talk about Thomas now. Yeah, let's do it. Let's move into his question. So I can talk more about me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what everyone loves. Uh, he says, I have read the, that fast twitch, fi fast twitch fibers can typically take four to 10 days to recover from a workout. And slow twitch... Typically, the fibers, not the website, typically 24 to 48 hours. Do you factor in these recovery times into trainer road workouts? Yeah, Thomas. So um, everything you say stands to reason, and I've read plenty of stuff to back up those general time frames. I've never seen it as specific as what you put out there. But it does make sense in that the, in order to recruit those uh, higher level fibers, the stress has to be greater. So the damage, the potential for damage is greater too. So the, the more you damage a fiber, the longer it's going to take to recover. And it's pretty hard to damage slow twitch fibers. Basically, you just run those into the ground. They don't really um, reach the, this, the levels of force that, that the high, higher twi or faster twitch fibers do. Um, so I don't exactly look at time frames of recovery when I build the plans, I just recognize that the high intensity workouts require more recovery time. Mm. So yeah, it is built in, but it, it doesn't get quite as specific as what you're mentioning. Hmm. Okay. So what I'm really struggling with right now is we've talked about before is tired legs between workouts. Mm -hmm. And I had a breakthrough workout last Friday. We actually had a problem with trainer road and I skipped breakfast and lunch. So for dinner, I went really crazy. <laughs> I already told you guys about this, but everyone else can hear. We, we, and plus, we had a babysitter with my parents, so I went and saw Rogue One, and I had a small popcorn. They had like an Italian sausage hot dog. They kind of had a cool meal there. Then afterwards, I went to Popeye's and had the five-piece spicy chicken meal with <laughs> oh French gosh. fries and a biscuit <laughs> and uh, Mardi Gras mustard. And then I went home. What was your I, wife doing this whole so time looking food. at you? Just she ate, um, she went to Popeye's too, but she got the blackened chicken, which is just 
chicken, nothing yeah. on it, and that's it. She and just, she snuck a salad into the movie theater. No, she's no not, joke. She's <laughs> she's not even phased by your by. No, your she laundry, encourages right? me to eat more. Yeah. She says I'm too skinny. Um, and then when that I went is home, the biggest bummer I've ever heard bringing a salad to a movie. <laughs> I know she's a, she's a downer. That's dangerous. <laughs> um, and then when I got home, I had a, a big, huge bowl of cinnamon toast crunch. In the morning, I had a cup, a dry cup. You know, after it's cooked, it's more than that of oatmeal, and I actually added brown sugar. Oh, I did yeah. a two-hour sweet spot workout. And it was so easy. I felt <laughs> I I got off my bike like four times to recalibrate my power meter, like between each interval, because I'm like, this is, has to be wrong. And it's it was a breakthrough workout. Yeah, it, I was doing 20 minute. I think it was three by 20, and it was at sweet spot, and it wasn't hard at all. Huh. So what I'm trying to do is figure out. My thinking is it's because of all the carbs I ate, but mm -hmm. my I'm trying to figure out. What's the right amount of carbs? Because I think I ate yeah, too I much. Still, I think that's way too much food. Oh, I know it is. For me, yeah, for me, I don't perform like, like you, you know, you, you're trying to understand if it's like just more carbs or what level of carbs is better for you. And it yeah. kind of acts like turbo, like NOS or something. Like you've yeah, exactly. opened things up and you're really fast. Yeah. For me, if I do that, I, and I, it could be because... I usually don't eat a lot of carbs. I'm pretty low on that end of things. When I do eat them, I feel sluggish. I don't feel strong. I don't feel fast. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing to, to point out just before we get any further into this is this is this is N equals one. This is what Nate is trying to figure out how what works for Nate. And then maybe there are some principles that can apply out from there. Yeah, I have an analogy that I'm, I'm thinking in my brain and let me see if, if you guys think this is right. I think it was like watering a tree. You got a tree and you have deep roots and you could have a hose on that's like kind of just a little bit of water and that will do well and it will kind of go down. What I was doing is I had a fire hose and I was just spraying <laughs> the ground and you get all this runoff. And I think the runoff is fat, like gets created to yeah. your body stores it as fat. It's interesting. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out is what's the right amount of carbohydrate that I can eat over the right amount of time. And when to time it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Timing so that I like, I, I get a deep water in my roots and if I don't get enough water carbon there, I won't like water. So that's what I'm thinking of like in it, my yeah. hand, my, yeah. in my brain. So what I'm doing is like this morning I had a cup of oatmeal, no sugar, just oatmeal and cashew uh, milk, which is, it's no sugar cashew milk. It's pretty much just fat and some butter. For lunch, uh, I'm going to have a, a mild carbohydrate, probably like a, a black bean or something. Mm -hmm. And then I, today, because yesterday I did something similar and I didn't feel really great during my workout. And then I had some fig bar in the middle and actually my last two intervals were better. Mm. I am going to gasp. Eat, uh, drink a Gatorade 30 minutes before my workout <laughs> and see if that does it. Last night I didn't have any carbs before bed. I actually had a protein shake instead. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking if maybe the Gatorade, it's like 29 carbs of sugar 30 minutes before. Grams of sugar. Yeah, yeah grams of sugar. If that, uh, I'm hoping that'll do it. But I don't know. And you're and the, to that's tie a lot better than back. eating like right. two thousand calories of carbs. Exactly, <laughs> and all of this is tying back into trying to not only help performance but not feel so not not feel so fatigued in your legs after. Yeah, yeah. with, with sweet spot work in particular, I mean that there's a heavy glycogen or you know sugar pull when, mm -hmm. when you do stuff like that. So <clears throat> if your muscles aren't topped off, yeah, that workout is going to be a struggle. If you haven't ingested any carbohydrate and your muscles aren't topped off, it's it's going to be a struggle. So I'm all for going into a workout like that loaded up and fully capable of doing the work ahead. I just question, and so does Nate, that, you know, how much do you need? And he clearly yeah, didn't need that much. Point. That's why I didn't need, yeah, exactly that much. <laughs> well, I'm hoping I didn't, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah, find, true. I mean, like, we could find that 
for me, I'm a bigger guy. That even more, I would have been able to yeah. do five but the night, times. The night before, kind of carb overload, so you're all stocked up. Mm-hmm. The day of, you know, just just pre workout. So I mean, your, your blood's running strong with with sugar. That's the other thing yeah. that I might try is uh, the oatmeal timing could have been it. So I might try oatmeal if if the Gatorade doesn't do what I want. I might try oatmeal like an hour before. Mm-hmm. For like a 90 minute workout. Yeah. Because I remember when we went went in Hawaii, I did that too. Like an hour before I did oatmeal and I thought it wasn't enough time. But during a longer ride, I felt really great. Yeah. And I'm, I'm two, I'm two hours, uh, is when I eat. I've found uh, people usually recommend anywhere from like 90 minutes to three hours yeah, for your pre-race meal. And two hours I found is perfect for me. At that point, I still have energy topped off and doing great, but the food isn't, you know, I'm not, I'm not verping while I'm riding, which is always good to so avoid. So the point of this though, for other people is I'm really trying to get specific and eat the same thing in my other meals every day. Yeah. And then just change one variable at a time. And this is the best way for all of us to, to nail things down is to, you have to isolate variables and test things. And, uh, and it's, it's tough. There'll always be variables that you can't control, but do your best when you're doing it. So let's move on to Eric's question. He says, I'm starting to plan my 2017 triathlon season. Last year I had multiple coaches review my files and he says, I am self-coached. Uh, and they all stated that I was weak on the bike and it hurt my running. I work as a firefighter and have a 24 on 48 off schedule by taking one or two shifts off. I can have five to eight days off. My question is this, when is the best time for a camp? And he says camp in quotes. And how long does the fitness last from that, from that camp? Am I better off taking a week off work and biking extra hard in April and dropping some big TSS to start the season or wait until four or five weeks for my a race? Thanks in advance. Love the podcast. I listen every shift while I check my fire truck and performance or perform perform station chores. So Eric, I'm assuming the sort of camp you're talking about is just a big aerobic overload sort of camp where you're not doing you know particularly high, highly stressful workouts, just a whole lot of riding, um, and, and that can be scheduled. Uh, just basically both the scenarios you described work really well. You can do it to just kind of overload the system if you have this five to eight day break and you know that you know you're gonna have a fair amount of recovery afterwards and that's super key if you're gonna experience this this high level of overload there has to be a compensatory period you have to have a high period or a high uh you know, a high period of, of recovery to basically absorb what you just put yourself through so kicking off the season that, that that's one thing that can get that that ball rolling so to speak um it can be super motivating too to come into it with a, a high level of fitness and being able to accommodate a high level of stress. And then as far as four or five weeks out, same thing. Um, as far as how long this this fitness lasts, it's it's all a question on you know how well you responded from it. Uh, you talk about, and I think you mentioned this that you work at a firehouse. So yeah, you do a big block of training and you go to the firehouse. And if what you're doing is indeed checking the truck and and performing station chores, no big deal. Your body may actually have the opportunity to absorb the stress you just inflicted. But if you have to go and actually fight fires and, and you're working yeah, you know, s- stressfully, hours, right? ex- exactly, exactly. Yeah. You're, you're denying your, your body the stress that it direly needs. So you just have to, you know, it's a bit of a gamble in your case. If you're going to proceed a work shift with that sort of overload, it's going to be hit or miss. I say do it earlier just because he doesn't know how well his body will recover. Yeah. And if he does it and he goes, hey, I recover really well. Do it again and exactly later on if you found out that that works really well for you. Mm -hmm. Because I'd rather have the if it is a mistake too and you can't recover, I'd rather have it earlier in the season than four to five weeks out from your A race. So you can have time to get back on track. Another thing about four to five weeks out from your A race, let's say you're four weeks out, you do it, 
and then you a week of recovery, then you have two weeks till your A race, and what do you do? Exactly. Right? You're like, I'm primed to race right now. Yep. Um, so maybe you you could really use that earlier one as a like as a template for the future because maybe mm-hmm. your body will respond, and if you find you're ready to race after that resting period, you want to do it two weeks out or three yeah, weeks that's, out. That's sound advice. You absolutely want to see how your body's going to respond to that sort of camp or that sort of overload. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, James, he says, hi, all at least five stars for the podcast and all the work you do on an excellent product. Thanks, James. Appreciate it. I'm a cat two cyclist in the UK focusing on crits, short road races and time trials and have been back racing for four to five years. I'm doing okay at 153 pounds and a 285 watt FTP. And that puts him around 4.1 watts per kilogram on about 10 hours a week. I'm not a runner. So it'd be starting from scratch and, uh, he says, run, walk, run, but was wondering if it would be useful cross training to start running, particularly when working away in the week, three to four days, mostly for ease of traveling without, uh, when I don't have the bike or, or turbo with me, uh, that means trainer for all of us here in the States, um, and generally poor hotel gym facilities. What are your thoughts on this useful maintenance, potential for injury or developing muscle, not useful on the bike? Uh, so I think you've got it in your head that aerobic maintenance is, is what you're after. And, and that in, in the cardiovascular sense is true. You might be able to maintain your cardiovascular system, but it really comes down to what's going on with the muscles. And when you run, it's very different than what you do on the bike when you ride. So <clears throat> the carryover is not going to be as, uh, as, uh, powerful as you, as you might hope. So it, it is something it's exercise and maybe keeps you in the rhythm and the routine, uh, keeps your training consistent, but it doesn't carry all that well. Um, I have noticed over the years that strong riders can become strong runners far more rapidly than strong runners become run- strong riders. It's just not the same sort of muscle stress. Uh, it, it, it sadly doesn't work as, as, as well as I'd like to tell you it does. Hmm. I think, uh, too, and so what am I trying to say here? He could just do a lot of TSS before each one of these. Do yeah. like little, like yeah. just kind of one of Same thing. Same thing. You could use days. these as an opportunity to recover. Yeah. yeah and just, and just dose your system with, you know, a high, high stress load. Two or three big days up. in a row. Yeah. Instead of a whole week. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, maybe like one or two hard days, rest a day, then another hard day, carry a lot of fatigue into this and then just, just relax, you know, just let That's your body absorb. Uh, it, so this isn't the term polarized training, but... I always try to think of my training from a polarized perspective in the sense that I want to be either training specifically or not training and, and doing what I can to recover. And this is a good example of it. If you're to look at it, the best case scenario in terms of moving your fitness forward, I would absolutely recommend doing the stress beforehand than using those days when you are away from it to really absorb that stress. It is the best case scenario for sure. And I've talked about this before too, but while traveling, like you could think of your training as eating really well. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, like exactly. you put all your mental energy into finding like quality food while you travel and recovering well, exactly, you know, like yeah. when yeah, you sit true. down, Shift you focus. Yeah. When you sit down, you try to find the chair that's going to allow you to sit back the most, whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. you, you really just try to, to, to make those marginal gains everywhere you can. I find too, unless you have an evening dinner, if you get back to your hotel early, you just go to sleep right then like <laughs> yes. get in bed because yeah. uh, there's no distractions. Exactly. Um, hopefully not. I mean, it depends on what your job is, but yeah, if you could do that. 
yeah, it'll really help. I, I guess I could see one side of things if you just need, uh, if you're the type of person that needs to get some energy out with a, with a run or something else like yeah. that. Yeah, sure. If you want to exercise, by all means. But yeah. the, the fact is running doesn't carry over to riding. Uh, it's just not going to make you a faster rider. Yeah, and I mean, if you're really running a lot, I guess you could worry about what he's talking about of developing muscle that's not useful on the bike at the end. But if you're just occasionally doing it... No, just, just running a lot is just going to make you a better runner. It's not going to make you a better rider. Exactly. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um, Richie, he says, hey, guys, great job on the podcast. I give it five bidones. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, thanks for the bottles. I don't think, I don't think Apple's going to make it, switch it from stars to bottles anytime soon, but some general questions and possibly odd questions. Number one, what's your threshold for applying chamois cream? Is it something you would use even in a one hour workout or should you apply it if you have four one hour training sessions, trainer sessions in a week? So we, we've talked about this before and I said, I didn't use chamois cream. And then now that I'm doing six workouts a week. I have just started again mm. every workout because I started to develop a saddle sore. Mm. And was you, it saddle soreness or a saddle sore? A, a saddle sore. Uh, saddle yep. sore. And so yeah. when I got the, I used D's nuts, yeah. DZ nuts. Yeah. When I put that on, I didn't feel the pain. And now it's actually gone, but I'm just going to keep doing it every time because it's inexpensive and mm -hmm. it's not going to hurt me. It has its yeah. place, and if it helps, that's one thing. I just don't want it to be used to mask a, a fit issue or, or improper placement really on the point. saddle. Mine so, was right on the seam of my chamois. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I, yeah. And again, or it spot. has its place. Just yeah. make sure that your bike is set up properly and that you're riding your bike properly and that you know, you're keeping yourself positioned on the saddle, not tipping forward and, and basically asking for issues. Yeah, it's a very individual thing. And you mentioned, Nate, that uh, the saddle sore that was developing for you was right on the seam of your chamois. And depending on how that chamois is shaped in relation to to you and how you're shaped, uh, one pair of shorts could be totally fine for one person, but be a problem for, for another person. And I know it varies. I, I, I am not a chamois cream person. I was like, like crazy at first, but now I'm not, I even did that, that Everesting ride and zero chamois cream the whole time. So crazy man. That was 26 hours, um, all together. If you count this, it's going to be like my fat thing, Jonathan, just dropping in the Everest ride. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just drop it in whenever I can to let people okay, know. By the know? way. Yeah. By the way, did you know what I did this? Um, and that was with rain and all the other stuff that usually brings out, uh, even more saddle soreness or saddle sores. So, uh, yeah, I, I personally don't, but Nate does. And it varies for each person. So number DT two bike every time. Do you do on TT bike? That's a good point. Um, that's when I'm most likely to, I don't, yeah. but if I were to, that would absolutely be why. That's a good point. Yeah. Definitely varies on saddle. Uh, what's the end position? What's the biggest wattage gain you've made by changing saddle height and fore aft position? I asked because I've been making micro adjustments to my setup over the past few weeks. And I'm at a point now where it looks like I've found 10 to 15 watts for the same perceived effort. Is this possible or could this be simply a coincidence and other factors are at play? General health, sleep I mean, quality. You could have had a really bad fit before and yeah. now you're there. It, it doesn't yeah. even have to be a really bad fit. You could have just found the fit that allows you to actually put out the power you're capable of putting out. Mm -hmm. um, there are always other factors at play. So it's pretty tough to narrow it down to one thing. But the fact is your power's coming up, your fit's getting more comfortable and you're performing better. So I wouldn't knock it. Yeah, I had a fit that put my Q factor pretty narrow. I have narrow hips and then they put my Q factor pretty darn narrow. And to be honest, that's, if I look back at it, I've always had been in and out of knee issues since then. Um, that did, they didn't start right after the fit or anything else. And I actually just moved my cleats back out to kind of chase away the last remaining little annoyance that I felt in my knee. And I'm feeling great now, no issues with it. Uh, a very small amount. And 
I don't think I'm 10 to 15 watts higher for the same perceived effort, but I do feel like, uh, riding, you know, I'm, I'm, I am operating more efficiently perhaps. Uh, but it definitely, I've never seen 10 to 15 Watts personally. Yeah, the biggest change I've ever Neither. seen uh, on the heels of a bike fit was, uh, when I got a, one that drastically lowered my saddle and it felt so awkward, but the reasoning behind it was that it, it was keeping, um, I think the, uh, I can't remember what muscle, uh, anyway, a muscle from firing as frequently or as early in the pedal stroke, which, you know, made sense on paper. Um, getting used to the change in position was difficult, but once I did, I recognized that I, my fatigue, I could stave off fatigue for substantially longer. And I was finishing rides, feeling less fatigue in, in my, my quads in particular. So it did, uh, have the intended effect, uh, and it was drastic. It wasn't an uptick in power exactly, but it, it was an improvement. I yeah, always worry about that's injury. An, that's an N equals one for sure, right? Yeah. That's the thing with bike fit that we should all, uh, for anybody listening that should remember is that it's a very individual thing. I worry about changing my bike fit because my saddle height's been the same height for so long yeah. that if I change anything, I'll get injured. Yeah, my saddle so I don't height. Change it. Yeah. My saddle height does not change. I have it. I have it all laid out and written down in a notebook that I have for all my bike settings, and I write that stuff down so I don't lose it. I've done three expensive bike fits: one in San Francisco, one in Davis, and then once here with the Retool system, and they all got my my saddle height down to like two millimeters, like yeah. the same exact one. So I'm like, that's it. I'm never changing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have three sources. That's usually. I'd say that's pretty good, right? Yeah. Um, Let's go into Chad's question. Chad, you don't have Chad, to. Chad, you wrote in. Yeah, you don't have you to can just bring it. Up. Yeah, exactly. I have questions too. <laughs> uh, and you also gave us five stars, so thanks for that, thanks, Chad. Chad. Yeah, he says huge five stars for the podcast and Trainer Road Training System. It is kind of funny reading this in the context of Chad saying it out, uh, complimenting his own plans. But he says I'm currently in Sweet Spot Base Two, Week Five, and really excited to jump into Short Power Build and then the XCO plan. That's Cross Country Olympic. I have uh, my mountain bike set up on my kicker. And I'm training for a series of mountain bike races starting in mid-April in Oregon. I might see you then, Chad, because I think I'm going up to the chain breaker around then. So, Nate, you should do that race if it fits into your schedule. I don't know if I'll be good at mountain biking by then. <laughs> yeah. It's, right. it's, it's like... A, Is it technical? Uh, no. No, not overly technical. It's like weaves in and out of the trees more. Okay, of, I can do that. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, pretty cool race. Um, anyways, my wonderful wife got me... Good job, by the way. You just got points. My wonderful wife uh, got me a Garmin Vector 2, and I've completed a couple rides since. The initial results are a little scary. My right-left balance seems way off. 35%, 65%. Whoa. That is... a lot. Yeah, that that's is substantial. It's worthy of concern. Chad. And you mentioned that they're Vector 2s, and that instantly ruled out uh, the concern that I had that it was perhaps the first-generation Vectors. I've heard that the second-gens are better. But uh, anyway, you say, with my right power phase significantly longer than my left. So his right is at 65%, and it also says that his power phase is significantly longer. So that means he's he's putting force into the pedal on that side for a longer duration of the pedal stroke. I do the single leg drills when called for, uh, on in the workout text instructions, but now I'm concerned about getting my left closer to the, to the right. This last ride, I focused on my left and it still resulted in the imbalance. Should I work on off bike exercises to try and get more balanced, maybe stretching? I'm concerned that the build and specialty phase will not have a focus on leg drills like base has any advice is much appreciated. I would imagine yeah. I would be much faster if I was actually pedaling with more than one leg. Mm -hmm. Chad, I, the first thing I would do is try to get another power meter and confirm that, that it's not the power meter because yeah. that big of a difference, I don't know if you would be 
Like that just seems. I would think like if you had an injury where like you got yeah. shot, yeah. you went to Afghanistan, and you got your leg kind of blown away. Like then, <laughs> yeah. then I would be like, oh yeah, okay, we can yeah, do or things. Or you have a diagnosed leg discrepancy or leg length discrepancy, but it's uh, significant I mean, one. People too cite that too often, and the fact of the matter is they've just got a little tightness somewhere that's causing a hitch, yeah, of some sort, which could be the case in, in your situation. But man, that's so substantial. It'd have to be pretty substantial when you're talking like a leg length discrepancy to cause this. And I almost think that if it was sixty five thirty five, you could look in a mirror on camera and visually see that. Yeah, type I feel like of this imbalance. would have come up prior to to getting a new power meter. So I would, I was just like, if you have a buddy that has a bike with like a cork on it, which will estimate it or some other P ones or something like that, just ride those and see if it, you get the same 35, 65 before you jump into like a rabbit hole of trying. And you can also visit a, a physical therapist and actually have, have him diagnose, you know, how your, how your hips sit. If you do have a leg length discrepancy. Yeah. If you, if you find <clears throat> that there is an imbalance that, that, that you use another power meter, you validate it. It is really imbalanced. That's definitely. Yeah. And just because so every I've gone to those, like I've never gone to actual chiropractor their office, but like at, after the race, you always see one and they always tell me one of my legs is longer than the other but my power is always 50, 50 or 51, 49 or somewhere yeah. in there. So just because you do have a, like one leg long and the other doesn't mean you'll be yeah, our, 35, 65. Our bodies are a mess of imbalances. That's just the sad fact of the right. matter. So yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Everybody has a leg length discrepancy. Everyone. They, nobody has identical. But I always tell my wife, I'm like, flex. they'll always, they say it to every person who goes in. Yeah. It's, it's a problem and you got to go fix it. Yeah. Money. So everybody has that. And like you said, Chad, a lot of the time it's just because of, you know, uh, how we're kind of tight in one area, maybe mm-hmm. something's causing a hitch, but yeah. So if you decide to go the stretching route or you want to figure out if, if, you know, exercises will improve the matter, that's when I'd involve a physical therapist as your first step. Yeah. Cause I don't know how to like, that's not common for that. 65, 35 like is not common. No, I don't know right. what to do to fix it. Yeah. And, and I mean, if you had 65, 35, it would, I, I would think that it would be evident in many ways. That I'd have that like a giant leg balance. and a skinny leg. Yeah. And if that's the case, then that's I mean, what I'm saying. I feel like this would have manifested in other ways prior to just getting this power meter, this showing you some new information. This shouldn't come tri- as a shock. That's the tricky thing, especially with left, right. Now, Nate, you mentioned like a, a cork power meter, the Elsa that they have, or their new D zero. That one estimates left, right. It measures in the spider. It's not measuring in the crank arm. So it can, and it has an accelerometer. So it can, it knows when one pedal is being, you know, uh, pressed on and when the other is being pressed on. But it is still estimated. It's not like measuring the strain at each foot. I wonder if you could even find a sports therapist who's equipped with, you know, a a power meter, a dual-sided power meter to diagnose issues just like this one. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I know the physical therapist I've been seeing, uh, he that's one of the first things he asked me. He said, what's your left-right balance? So, um, and he knows about cycling and everything else, so he understands that. But... Yeah, this I, I would try to verify the power meter, uh, see if there may be some type of an issue there. So, um, yeah, it's it's technology. There can always be little hitches. Uh, Gary, what effects does taking antibiotics have on FTP, if any? Gary, I don't think the antibiotics themselves would have any effect on FTP. I mean, we're just talking about antibacterial uh, medication, right? So, um, if anything has an effect on FTP, it's going to be the illness that the antibiotics are treating. Yeah, it's, and having said that, if you are sick and taking antibiotics, your FTP is probably going to drop. That's exactly what I mean. Right. Yeah, that's correlation. Yeah, exactly. That's the, that's the problem is that a lot of people probably think it's the antibiotics. Places with more cops have more crime. <laughs> Therefore, <laughs> cops cause crime. <laughs> yeah, good example of it, right? So, um, and, and antib- I, I've seen a lot of people say this, though. The, uh, the reason I put this in is because I've seen a lot of people when they're sick, they're like, yeah... 
I was doing okay, but then once I started taking antibiotics, like my performance just dropped so hard. I've seen cyclists say that it's and, not an immunization; it's antibiotics. Exactly, it's medication. Right. It's 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 a miss. It, people are tying in the wrong thing there. So um, if you're sick and you're not able to train like you are, you're not able to perform like you are, then that seems makes like there sense. could be a study on this where they just take some people and they give them pills <laughs> who are not sick. Yeah, to see if it, antibiotics versus yeah. placebo and see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it might be out there. Yeah, if there are any uh, scientists that are bored that want to study, there's one study for people. you. If anybody knows of an existing study, yeah, yeah, yeah a little that easier. too. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Tom, hi. When I do hard, short efforts, and he mentions that they're under five minutes, my first effort is always much more powerful than subsequent efforts, even if I have ten plus minutes of recovery in between. Example given: uh, three minute efforts this morning. First effort, effort averaged three hundred and eighty seven watts. Second, three hundred and fifty. Third, 321. Fourth and fifth, 301. And uh, that's it. And then he said his FTP is at 250 watts. He says, I'm training for a two kilometer track pursuit. Uh, is going as hard as you can better for adaptation than doing five, perhaps more conservative, but repeatable efforts? In my case, somewhere around 340 watts. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, so Tom, just remember it's about overload. We're trying to stress something in a greater manner than it's been stressed in the past, so it'll adapt to come back stronger. So in this case, you're trying to overload the aerobic system. And when you go out and you go full gas and do a very anaerobic effort, and then you can't perform the subsequent intervals at anywhere near a level of effort that's going to stress that aerobic system in the same way, you're, you're, you're seeing drastically diminished gains or potentials. So, you know, you have that one good, strong lead-in effort, and then the rest of them basically just drag your uh, your average power down. So even if you looked at the average power over the course of this, the, the way you you did it, I think it comes out at like 330 watts, whereas if you had stuck them all at 340 watts, greater stress on the aerobic system, a more consistent one, more time spent up against that aerobic ceiling, you're going to get a better training training response due to that. Um, and for what it's worth, you're talking about three minute efforts at, uh, just, you know, crunch the math there three, you want to do them at 340 versus 250. Either way you're doing these at like 135% of threshold, which, uh, tells me your threshold, your FTP has probably risen time to reassess. Yeah. That's I was going to say. That's really high, especially with the 387. <laughs> yeah. Like, and Whoa. be able to repeat those. I that's mean, one high. of those would smash me. And what they say, uh, an, Another way to, to talk about this is anaerobic work capacity, AWC. You'll see that in mm -hmm. forums a lot. And that's why on some of our yeah, um, it's super tests, limited. yeah, we try to blow out like the 20-minute test, which is your AWC, which is that first interval, what's what doing. he's doing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So he's kind of using his anaerobic, the, the if you think of like you're, a- you're Kind of artificially inflating yeah, that exactly. first effort. Yeah. It's not really a good anaer or, uh, aerobic effort. You got a bazooka with your anaerobic work capacity and you've shot it off during the first interval. But this, those type of intervals are to, to, like as Chad said, increase your aerobic system. So yeah. you've kind of benefited from that first one, and then on the other ones, you've just And even down. on that first one, you're tapping your anaerobic system so hard that the aerobic system probably isn't getting the same um, yep. same hit point. That, that, that it would derive if you would just go out evenly at 340 and try to repeat that. Yeah, that's what I always try to do with VO2 intervals. A lot of people with VO2, they always say, "Go, just go hard. As hard as you can. Just as hard as you can. And and that's not it. You still want to be uh, specific with it. You, if you're more specific, you'll get better results. So, or more specific results. So a takeaway from this, Chad, to sum it up, it's better to have a higher average power over your five intervals than to have it be like stepping down a staircase yeah, where so each in, one's less. In the case of, what is this, three, five by three, so 15 minutes. So if you did 15 minutes, right now you're getting like four or five quality minutes, whereas if you toned it down a little bit and repeated a higher level of effort over the course of them, you might get 10, 12. Yeah. 
substantially more stress on that aerobic system and the greater potential for improvement later. And I, I, I bet that it might even be a little harder for you if you, even though it seems like that first oh, yeah. one really blows, blows you out. And then after that, that's why things are suffering. Yeah. If you try to keep them steady at that more conservative, uh, power target there, it'll be plenty tough. So, um, oh, one really quick thing on this. I, I never find that my first interval is the best. No, neither. Yeah, same here. I mean, I'm going after targets though. I'm not just trying to go as hard as I can. Yeah, that's but true. But I don't feel the best in my first interval. Yeah, I, second or third interval, depending obviously on how many there are. But I always need some time to kind of blow out some cobwebs, and that's more. I, I still do a warm up, but that's just how things go. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, Bob, he says hi. I'm new to Trainer Road and really like the quality product you deliver. I recommend it highly. Thank you, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. I have a quick question about training plan periodization. I'm a new off-road triathlon pro, and this year the ITU World Champs are in August of all months. My typical plans through the years uh, and years of mountain bike racing were a double peak in June, that's for nationals, and September, October, and sometimes February for cyclocross. Attending the qualifier in the States is too expensive, so I need some strong results in Europe prior to that. I was considering still trying to double peak with the first being in late June for the major Xterra events, but I'm concerned a late June peak is too close to a mid August world champs date thoughts. Thank you. Yeah. So you just have a, basically a narrow window in between peak events, which means you're not going to have a whole lot of time to take it easy. Um, coming off of the first peak, I, I still think a, a week or, you know, five days or so of easy riding and, and you're a high level rider. So you probably got a good handle on this, but enough time to, to renew you a bit. And then you're looking at what, maybe three to four weeks of training before you're back in it. So, yeah. so it's, it's still going to be just more of, of, of the highly race specific conditioning following that. So you're, you're basically sustaining that peak. I wouldn't look for a big change in fitness between those two peaks. You're going to peak, you're going to rest a little bit, hit it hard again, maybe elevate your, your peak fitness slightly and then go again. I've done an April, uh, so early April to mid July double peak. And that was honestly fantastic. I also kind of prioritized those peaks. I was okay if the April peak wasn't quite as high. And I really kind of shifted more of the focus on recovery and, and training and everything else. Yeah, to, if you can to get a couple peak. months between peaks, you're, you're sitting pretty, but you're, you're working with a real short range of time here. Yeah, you're cutting it down to just over just over a month uh, when you look at the dates there. So uh, like a month and a half. So that could be that could be tricky for sure. I would... And one thing you could do is kind of put less, I guess it depends. I mean, you want to qualify for worlds, but put less of uh, less of a focus on the earlier events and really just try to prioritize things for that later peak. So um, yeah, shift things around that way. Uh, question from Rigoberto. That's got to be Iran, by the way. I'm sure of it. The pro riders definitely sending us questions, I think. So uh, he says, I've been following the sweet spot based training plans for the last three months and I'm planning to start a build block next week. My 2017 season will primarily consist of road races, usually two to three hours, with three or four laps, including what I'd call medium climbs, maybe eight minutes and flat finishes. I'll be riding these for the benefit of my teammates. Not much opportunity for crits or time trials where I live, but I might be going for the win in some mass start hill climbs. And he mentions that those are like 20 minutes of actual racing, then a 20 to 30 minute climb to the finish. I'd originally planned to do general build. That's our build plan that kind of takes care of the middle ground. It's nothing too short or nothing too sustained as the workouts seem best matched to the major efforts required in my races. However, my power curve is skewed heavily toward the five to 20 minute end. And to be honest, I feel like my fitness is already in a pretty good place in that respect. 
I worry that the general build workouts would just be maintenance rather than actual challenging build workouts. Meanwhile, my one minute critical power is unremarkable and my sprint and jump is downright pathetic. I wonder whether it might be more productive to focus on mitigating my weaknesses and switch to the short power build plan, even if it's not as well matched to the specific demands of my race schedule. So in question form, should I choose my plan based on the demands of the races for which I am probably already pretty well prepared or with a name to develop in areas where I am not as strong? Uh, Rigoberto, the primary concern with the, that I have is that you're going to be training something that you're not going to rely on anyway. So um, the difference between a weakness and a limiter is is a pretty important one. You may not be good at these short efforts, but do you need to employ those short efforts? I don't want you to go train them and, and never and never use them. It sounds like you're a support rider, in which case the long steady watts suits, suits your uh, needs better than developing that shorter power. Um, if however, you talk about kind of topping out and you feel like all you'd be doing is maintaining fitness and you basically need a little more room for growth, those shorter efforts can provide that. So that VO two max lifting your VO two max power and actually pushing that up a little higher can be one method of creating more room so that you can grow your FTP a little more. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the weakness part, like I'm no good at 26 hour Everest challenges, right? <laughs> yeah, if I ever told but, you about that, do it. but I'm no, I'm not going to go like train for that, right? Like, yeah, there's no point in me doing that. A limiter is a weakness that is going to stop you from winning uh, yeah. your race, right? I don't basically, basically if, it, if it limits the performance that you're after, then yeah, it's something that needs to be addressed. Exactly. But if it's just an outright weakness, but it doesn't doesn't affect the way you race, then it's I'm weak not, at backflips. I'm not a good, really bad. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a good sprinter. But I don't want to sprint races because that's, I mean, yeah. you just heard about all the equipment I bought. It's a good way to, good way to, to yeah. lose a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. um, and I don't want to win races that way. And it takes a toll on your body sprinting. It's just more dangerous. I don't, I don't find them exciting. I yeah. want to like break before. So I'm not going to train sprinting. Yeah, so it's not it's a weakness of mine, but it's not a limiter. But at the same time, if he wants to be a little bit stronger and and just actually you know be able to generate a little more force on the pedals, even at steadier, uh, l- lower lower uh, intensity outputs, short a couple sprint together. workouts here and there might benefit him. But I wouldn't Me shift his him. training. You okay. and anyway anybody who's, who's who's after that particular change. And her, and Rigo, hopefully I can call you Rigo. But uh, I would I would suggest just considering a sustained power build as an option. If you're a support rider too, I mean, if you're going to be spending a good amount of time, uh, riding up at the front for your teammates or or covering moves or anything else like that, you know, it's going to require different amounts of fitness, but I know that the, the perceived weakness of, of your power on the short end of things has you thinking of training that, but also just look at, uh, I always, in terms of how I want to address my training, I will look for what will matter on race day. Not that that's what I should train. So, yeah, so, so you might actually train, do, do efforts that elevate your one minute power, but elevating your one minute power isn't really the aim. You're looking to create mm-hmm. more room to elevate your, your threshold power, your sustainable power. And I would argue, Rigo, that unless you're like at five watts a kilo, there's probably room to grow Yeah, like for Truth. everyone. So Absolutely. you say you might be topped off in maintenance, well, switch to a higher volume plan yeah you might just need a little more stress on the system but if this is uran then he's i bet his his ratio is pretty good <laughs> could be really good yeah but so he's at five watts a kilo right and he needs to and he's like i'm yes yeah, so i'm not gonna go any higher on that but i'm really bad at the one minute i would say sure. i think we would all say yeah yep. go for the one minute then. yeah really anything yep. below five watts a kilogram you've still got room to grow yeah yeah absolutely 
Joseph. Hey guys, trainer road has been a great tool for me to improve as a cyclist. And I'm really digging the podcast. Good flow, chummy banter and timely information. These guys are not chummies. They're chums. <laughs> yeah. I've given you five stars on the platform. I'm all on all the platforms I use. Thank you, Joseph. I've listened to almost every episode and don't think there's been a question about using trainer road for single speed mountain bike racing. I'm a recent convert to the single speed cult. And I'm glad you called it a cult and I didn't, um, and jumping into the deep end with several NUE 100 milers on my calendar. Uh, Kahuta, you mentioned Mohican wilderness, 100 Shenandoah and full fool's gold. This year I completed multiple 50 to 100 milers using multi gear bikes and really enjoyed the format and put in about 600 plus hours of riding this year. That's a lot of time, man. I'm wrapping up the cyclocross plan since I live in Hartford with uh, CX Nats coming up. I'll move into the sweet spot base two plan after that, then into your general build plan, which we just finished talking about, and prep for early season races. Should I modify how I approach the intervals to match the demands of single speed riding? Should I focus on a lower cadence, more standing drills, etc.? Much thanks. I'll be listening. Yeah, absolutely, Joseph. Um, more so as you get closer to your events too. So as you need to start applying these different forms of fitness or different skills, I guess, um, the more important that becomes. So it might not be a big concern when you're in your base phase. You can keep things a little more general, but then as you grow uh, a, a little more specific towards the sort of stresses you're going to inflict on your body during during races, absolutely has to emulate what you're going to face. Last thing you want to do is simply focus on fitness, but not really keep, keep those specifics in mind and lower cadence work, higher cadence work, getting in and out of the saddle and, and keeping power steady, all that stuff that, that has to be addressed, especially as you work, you know, through your build phase through and, and into your specialty phase. Jonathan, single speed mountain biking sounds horrific. Yeah. Why would someone too. do that? Uh, you have to, que- uh, you'd have to ask, uh, Joseph and the thousands and thousands of other people that do it. It's here's the interesting thing. Uh, all of us think of single speed mountain biking, the, the great effect that it has is on the climbs. It's going to force you into a, a low or into a rip your knees uh, off. Exactly. You're going to have a super low cadence. Yeah, just boom, boom. Boom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot to be gained on the other end of things. Embarrassingly at national champs, when I got fourth last year at mammoth or the year before, I guess in 2015, the single speed beat you. Please uh, say a single speed beat you. The guy that won the single speed division had a faster lap time than I did. Wow. Yeah, what was the course profile though? Uh, it was long, consistent climbs then long, consistent kind of descents and uh-huh. rolling stuff too. He, you know what? I watched him going up the climb and he looked like his kneecaps were, were lifting off at, at that point, like shin bone was about to come through the skin on some of the climbs. But when he was done with that climb, he was, and this is this guy, by the way, he's been a pro for years. He was like a really good rider, but he was so good at keeping his legs moving at all times. He wasn't just worried about turning a slow cadence, slow cadence, but a high cadence too, because once you start going downhill, and you're in a single speed, you're obviously going to have to spin at a high cadence. And usually people think, well, you just rest. Then if you want to be efficient on the bike, you have to think about where to gain speed every meter of the course. Right. Mm-hmm. And this guy did it's a it. Greater to challenge. Effect. I mean, there's obviously a, a sim- simplicity factor going on there. It's, it's the idea of a bike. That's just one gear. That's it. There's, yep. there's you don't even think about shifting. It's not an option. But it's, it's just a greater challenge, period. It's unique. You have to be kind of a badass to be a good single-speed rider. Yeah, you really do. And and one thing about this, too, and, and by the type of person that I never want to become, I, I don't want to ride single-speed, but so kudos John, to you, Joseph. Yeah, but, Chad goes, John you doesn't want to be a badass. badass. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> then, I, I don't want to become one. I cleaned that up. Uh, but I... I think that this is where a smart trainer is super important because on a single speed on a normal trainer, you might be tough for you to emulate, for example, a slow cadence at high power. 
but if you have a smart trainer, you totally can. Yeah, you can't on a. You can't do it. Yeah. You'd have he's, to have he's like a, has a smart trainer. trainer too, though, because if he's yeah. on a mountain bike or he's using a. Yeah. And you yeah, can just sprinkle in some of those outdoor rides. And obviously, I mean, you're a mountain biker. You got to get out on the trail sometimes. So yeah. maybe do your slow, for, slow force work out there. That's a really good point. You know, you do your intervals, work on your fitness there. And then maybe on those outdoor rides, when you're not as structured, you can just work on the, the other side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Speaking of crazy stuff, do you guys know there's fat bike nationals? Yeah. Yeah. Fat bike world champs actually oh, too. Really? Yeah. You should do that, John. Then you get your national champ in fat bike territory. <sighs> Uh, okay. I don't want to make anybody angry that owns a fat bike, but, but he's gonna. that would be, <laughs> that would be more of an embarrassment than, you know how I, I want to tell everybody, single person I know that I wrote, did an Everesting challenge that I rode for 26 yeah. hours straight. Is that like me winning uh district champs with two other people in my group? No, way worse. This no. is like an admission of, of, of great. Yeah. I would I think I'd it. be way more proud of winning a fat bike national champ. <clears throat> than a C district with two people in my category. <laughs> to each his own. <laughs> uh, let's go on to Michael's question. Last one. Uh, he says, hello from a rainy and windy Scotland. I'm just back from hiding in my garage during uh, doing Warlow. That's one of our workouts uh, while Storm Barbara rages outside. Uh, he, as you may have guessed, I'm progressing through sweet spot base. I have found it good so far, but as soon as I hit the over under intervals, I really start to struggle today. My form was pretty sloppy throughout. My cadence was creeping down quite low and I could not maintain the power target throughout the intervals, uh, throughout intervals four and five. I feel like I've been able to perform well at the workouts in the program so far. Uh, so I'm confused as to what it is about over unders that causes this. I looked back at last year and the same problem occurred there too. Your advice would be much appreciated. Many thanks. P.S. Love the podcast and the app. Keep up the good work. So, let me let me jump in this because I got okay. not enough Popeyes and uh, cinnamon toast crunch <laughs> before your over unders. That's it. There's your answer. Boom. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. Yeah. <laughs> now, Michael, uh, two theories on, on this matter. One, uh, by the time the over unders weave their way into the tapestry of the sweet spot base build, one that's week four. Or five. Yeah, week yeah, four. Week four. So I could look at where Wallow was, but it's no sooner than week four. So first off, there's there's some fatigue built into your legs at this point. Uh, secondly, over-unders are hard. That's it. They're just, they're just hard. You're, you're talking about riding a threshold, then being a bit above it, and then only being slightly below it again. So the format of the workout itself is just a demanding one. Um, nutrition could play into it. So if you're a little low on uh, go juice, you know, carbohydrate, whatever whatever your, your uh, food of choice is, that that. that it could be it, but fact of the matter is they're just tough. Um, you, especially as the, the workout plods on and you get to those later intervals, start to recognize that, you know, when you come off of those, uh, over segments and, and you dip into those little valleys, they're, they're far from recuperative. They're just enough to allow the, the heaviness to clear and your muscles to start kind of waking up again. If it grinds you down into a cadence where you're just barely creeping along, just stop for a second, backpedal, you know, mm-hmm. try to get your spin back up because that, that higher force demand is just exacerbating the whole issue. So when your, your cadence grinds down, it's probably time to stop so that you can, you know, just get enough recovery. And I'm talking five, maybe 10 seconds tops, wind it back up. And I'd be willing to bet the rest of your interval will improve because of that. Mm-hmm. I, over-unders for me right now would probably be a, a very disastrous thing. I'm just building things up again, but it, I actually tolerate this type of work very well. Uh, it doesn't seem to have the same effect, but you, Michael, are not alone. In fact, the majority of people I speak to, their least favorite workouts in terms of the most painful or the toughest ones for yeah. them to finish they're, are over-unders. They're super hard, but they work extremely yeah. well. I was going to say, they're very beneficial for me, yep. but they're, they're really hard. Su- super beneficial in the end. Uh, 
you know, there, there are a lot of things that are going on when you're doing over unders, uh, and, and it makes it pretty difficult for sure. But, and, and all that, and if Chad wants to get into the actual mechanics of what's going on with the body there, he can explain that. But I find that a lot of the time too, it's, it's like me, if I were to go into 20 minute intervals and just sustain 20 minute intervals, even if my body was good at it, I would suck at it because my mind would be holding me back. And that's another thing that I think can kind of, I guess, buy into this, or I guess, attribute to this to a certain extent. And like you said, it seems like you got kind of caught by surprise and looked back at last year to see if it had the same effect and you realized it did. So not saying this applies in your specific spot, but if you have an interval format that you hate, uh, it may be, yeah, that you are physically, you know, it's tough for you physically, but also mentally. And Chad, for these, uh, intervals, these workouts that are over-unders, I think you're saying if you can't get through them too, it's better to take a little back pedal than to turn them down. Yeah, absolutely. The, those short breaks, they don't seem like they're going to do a whole lot and they don't revive you. They don't make everything feel magically better, but they do clear off enough of that that build up and, and give you just a couple extra breaths and let you clear your mind ever so briefly. And it's basically a coping mechanism. It's not anything that's physiologically changing things much, but it gives you just a little bit of a break to maybe you know, refocus and, and just, like I said, get that slightest bit of recovery that reinvigorates you and keeps you hanging in there. Yeah. Uh, over-unders are super effective though. Super effective. Well, and again, especially so. on the ergometer trainers or smart trainers, um, it's yeah. a slower as your cadence starts to grind and grind and grind, it's only going to get worse. So especially on a smart trainer, take that five or 10 second back pedal so that you can wind it back up. Yep. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thanks for the questions. Uh, you can submit them at trainerroad.com slash podcast or use the hashtag ask trainer road. And, uh, well, I guess we'll talk to you guys in 2017 next year. Well, bam. <laughs> See you next year. See you. See you. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> See you next week. Goodbye.